<laughs> Our speaker today is Marcus uh, from the Reason and Recovery Group. He is out in New Mexico, and I met him uh, actually through Oh My God, or Oh My God, sorry, I never get that one right. Um, and he is one of the most down-to-earth, kind human beings I have ever met. He's an incredibly strong program, and uh, he helps he helps kind of keep everybody grounded, I feel. So I'm going to hand it over to him. Hi, Marcus. Oh, geez, Megan. You get me all misty. Uh, hi, I'm Marcus. I am an alcoholic. I live in New Mexico. And uh, right off the bat, I want to thank Megan. I've known Megan. We do service together and have for over a year. And uh, it has been it has been great. And I, I love working with her. And you always inspire me, lady. I know you hate compliments, but you know what? You gave me one, so I'm going to give you one back. So, <laughs> uh, so I haven't done a speaker session in a long time, so uh, bear with me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, like I said I'm Mark's alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 25th, 2020. I'm a Zoom baby. I came into the rooms um, when in the height of COVID when everything in New Mexico was shut down and there were no in-person meetings. Um, I have done in-person meetings since, but for the first almost year and a half of my sobriety was 100% on Zoom. So I guess I'll just get into, uh, I have a couple little notes. just want to make sure to touch, um, you know, the familiar with the, the format of where I was, what I did, and where I am now. Um, so I'll go way back. Uh, I never, normally these things are usually 15, 20 minutes, so... I'm going to experiment a little bit and go a little bit further back than I have before. So, uh, my parents were divorced when I was three. So we're going way back. Uh, and my mom moved to Colorado and, uh, my, my biological father is one of the sources of many, uh, physical and sexual abuse and mental abuse for me and physical abuse for my mom. Uh, I wasn't aware of a lot of her abuse until I became an adult. She still did joint custody or shared custody or whatever the term was at the time where I would see him like every other holiday and stuff. She did remarry when I was nine to uh, a very Catholic, Irish Catholic guy who, my stepdad, um, and he has really been, throughout my life, has been, for lack of a better term, like a saint. Uh, he's always loved me and treated me like one of his own kids, uh, even though he had four kids when we... Uh, when my mom married him, uh, it was a large, it was a very large extended family. They're Irish Catholics, so probably get the gist of that. He had, I think, 12 or 13 brothers and sisters, and they all had tons of kids. Um, but unfortunately for me, when uh, they first got married, his wife had only, she passed away from cancer uh, just a year prior. And he was a widower with four kids, four young kids. Only one of them, I think, was 11 or 12 at the time. And his entire family, when my mom came into the picture, really saw us as outsiders and almost what you might call gold diggers, even though he's just a phone man. But still, uh, we're never really treated like the rest of the family. And that really began for me at an early age. So at nine years old, I had step-siblings overnight that I didn't get along with, that didn't like me, that didn't want me there. I had an extended family that they couldn't stand my mom or me. And that really started off the, uh, the groundwork of me being a guy that, um, 
as a kid that just felt like nobody wanted me around. Um, one of the big mistakes that my parents did is my mom really forced all the other kids to call her mom right out the gate. And so they instantly resented her because their mother had only passed away and she wanted to, she took pictures down. It was, it was crazy how she basically replaced their mother with her. And it was a very strict household. You know, if you didn't, uh, you had to finish your dinner. Uh, you weren't allowed to be excused from the table until you did. So you could literally sit at the table for an hour after the meal was over. Um, but growing up, I didn't get along with my brothers and sisters much at all. There was a lot of fighting and my parents, uh, decided that the best way to handle that was to let them fight it out. We would literally, uh, my mom and my stepdad would, if me and my brothers were arguing or fighting, they would lock us in the garage and just have us fight it out until somebody came out. Uh, that was the that was the foundation as growing up. Um, I was uh, a lot of self loathing and anger as a kid, all the way through until junior high. Um, I I was relentlessly bullied in elementary school and was afraid to fight. But the summer before junior high, my stepdad, like I said, who I love dearly, uh, sat me down. And it's like he's like, son, if you don't ever stand up for yourself. No one will ever respect you, and you'll be dealing with this your whole life. And being the uh, the person that I am, that I only do things in extremes, I went from being afraid to fight to wanting to fucking fight everyone uh, and everything. Uh, I got suspended multiple times, even got expelled in 10th grade for hitting a teacher. Uh, and my stepdad was able to work it out to where I could finish school and that principle that I had in high school is one of those unsung heroes in my life that I was actually able to meet before he died and thank him for everything he did. Cause he did not need to give me that many chances. And I don't know where I would have been had I continued the path I was on as a teenager. Um, well, my first exposure to alcohol was as a young child, my, my biological father, I call him pop. Uh, would sit me down during football games, American football. Sorry, I know Tishnu is overseas. Uh, we arrogantly call football here, even though you guys already had football. Uh, but he would sit me down during Cowboys games and uh, would hand me the little eight-ounce Coors cans at the time back in the 80s. So I'd have a little six-pack of Coors cans, and he'd have a six-pack of tall cans. And that's what, and I never liked it. It never early on. It was never something I enjoyed. It was always the effect. As I got to be a teenager. I preferred weed. Uh, I, I smoked as much of that shit as I could get my hands on. And we only smoked out or we only used alcohol in excess bonfires, going out to a drive-in theater or something of that nature. And it was always to try to fit in. I just never really felt like I fit in with everybody. And I always wanted to be the crazy one. I was always the, uh, you know, I remember when I was 15, I think it was, we went to see that Michael J. Fox, Secret of My Success or something movie at a drive-in theater, and I got drunk, and I thought it'd be a great idea to climb up the back of the movie screen, and at the top of the drive-in theater, I'm straddling it like a horse, waving at everybody as they're flashing their lights, because I thought that was a fun thing to do. I just, I would go to any length I thought at the time to be accepted, and that's what I used alcohol for, um, 
It was always in excess and it was always trying to fit in with other people. Um, but the, the issue that I had mostly growing up was just anger and rage. Uh, my first blackout experience was not uh, drug related. It was in a fight on a middle school playground when I was in like seventh grade. Um, a kid came up to me. Uh, we were, I don't even remember what I was doing. He, and he threw a basketball and hit me with the basketball. And I turned around and he said something along the lines of, what are you going to do about it? And that's the last thing I remember. Uh, I came to later as a teacher was pulling me off the kid and I was smashing his face into the asphalt, uh, busted his nose, blood everywhere. And I don't even remember how I got there. Um, and that became kind of a common theme for me as a teenager is I could not control my anger. And I got in tons of fights and I didn't even care if I won the fight. I just, I wanted to hurt the other person and I would fight dirty. Uh, I would pull hair. I would poke in eyes, uh, bite. Uh, I would do anything I could to make the other person hurt. And I got a reputation in high school of just being, I wore the heavy metal clothes. I really bought into the whole act. I wanted to be uh, the the outsider kid that no one fucked with. And I had a very small circle of friends. And it's just troublemaker, uh, breaking and entering, shoplifting, uh, getting in tons of fights, caught with possession. I just was, I just was on this path of self-destruction and I bought all into it. And I wore the heavy metal jacket, the jean jacket and the chains and the boots and all this craziness. Um, until, <laughs> until I met my future wife, um, <laughs> and it's one of the, you know, one of the blessings of my life for lack of a better term was, I met a woman that I wanted to impress. And uh, so I straightened my act up as a junior in high school. I was still smoking a lot of weed. As a matter of fact, in art class, I uh, fired my, my own personal pipe inside of a pot. And I got an A on the pot. I took that pot home and smashed it and got my pipe out of it. Um, and that was my kind of mode at that time was just whatever path I could get to get, get weed. For me, weed was the thing I, I, I wanted more than alcohol at the time. Uh, but I met my wife. I started getting straight A's. I know it's crazy because this is the same guy that would put um, bottle caps inside typewriters to piss off the typing teacher because every time people would type, they would start pop, 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 pop. Um, and getting in fights with teachers, literally, and getting expelled. But I, I, uh, I met this girl, and I wanted to impress her, and so I started getting straight A's, doing well in school. Uh, and uh, the day I graduated high school, I was my my uh, at the time my girlfriend lived across the street, and in a little trailer park, and I'm hauling my shit, my little drawers of stuff out of my house across the park to move in with my girlfriend at the time. And uh, we, we lived together for a little over a year before we got married. I got married at 19. I would not recommend that. <laughs> I love her very much. And I'm very, and we're, we will be celebrating our 33, 33rd wedding anniversary in March. But uh, I definitely would not recommend uh, starting that young because uh, it created a lot of problems. And most of it was due to my immaturity 
and selfishness of wanting to, you know, everything. Once, once I no longer had the strict rules and environment that I grew up in, you know, I just wanted to do everything my own way and uh, made a lot of really dumb decisions. Uh, like on my wedding night, I actually had, had buddies of mine spend the night at my house playing video games because I thought that was a good idea. Uh, so, yeah, I was was extremely immature. Um, I still had anger issues, but at that time, it was not as bad. But we we struggled and struggled and struggled financially. We were... Um, we were the the epitome of dirt poor. We lived in old, sink, small mobile home trailers. We, we drove beat-up cars. My wife went to school and worked and got her degree in accounting and got a job. And I went to school and went to college as well. Uh, but then she got laid off. We could not afford uh, birth control. So she got pregnant a month later. And this is another thing I would not recommend. As much as I love my oldest daughter, would not recommend having a kid at uh, 20, 22 years old with not enough money to pay your utilities. Um, so at that time, uh, I had to do something. Uh, we were we were scraping, and I joined the Army. Uh, it's probably one of the single best things I ever did, but it wasn't easy. Uh, joined the military at 22 as a young father, and... I can tell you one thing, the Army doesn't really give a shit if you have a family. Uh, we were still dirt poor for quite a while uh, until we got stationed overseas. But this is also where I got introduced to, in order to fit in with the group, alcohol is part of the culture. It's just part of what everybody does. And at the time, I didn't drink much at that time. I still would, you know, and I didn't actually smoke weed a lot early in our relationship, but I was extremely immature and not a really good father or husband um, at that time. And a lot of, I won't get into a lot of details here, but there's a lot of bad things that I, I did. And um, when we joined the military, I, uh, we got stationed overseas and I got introduced to beer that was good. And I started to enjoy it. We would hang out with friends on Fridays after work and drink during football games on Sunday and it really became part of the uh, normal thing. I would just slowly start to drink more. Um, and we had a lot of marital problems at the time. Um, the army is not easy on a marriage. We, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, before I got, when I got stationed in Germany, I wasn't sure she was going to follow me. Uh, our marriage was on the rocks at that time, pretty bad. I went to Germany and immediately found out that I was going to get deployed within the next couple of months to Bosnia. And, I didn't want to bring my family over to have them show up and me not even be there. Um, so I ended up having her stay behind in the States and looking back, that was probably not a good idea uh, because it didn't, it definitely didn't help our marriage. Uh, got deployed, came back. Uh, we did end up getting together. We went into some marriage counseling, which is something I would highly recommend to anyone who's struggling with their marriage. Seek a professional. That's what they do. And, uh, You've been to marriage counseling three times, and I credit all three of those times to keeping us together. Um, anyway, I digress. So in while I was in the Army in Germany is when I started to drink more. Uh, and it became more of a normal part of my uh, weekly, daily routine. I wasn't a daily drinker uh, yet, but I definitely was drinking more. 
Um, and then when I left the army and came back to the States, we, uh, we moved to New Mexico because my wife already had a job there and we went, you know, from being pretty secure to being scraping again, because I didn't have a job lined up, tried to go to school again. I didn't work out, um, got a job working for the air force and we ended up moving to a town nearby the base that I work at. And that's really where I started to meet a lot of made friends at work. Uh, and to be social, it was getting together after work on Fridays and drinking. And that was about 20, 20 some odd years ago when that started. And it became a very weekly thing. And as time went on, I just, I just progressed. I don't, I don't want to say it's, I became natural. I just, I, I wanted that feeling more, um, and, and I wasn't getting enough of it on Fridays. And, you know, I would drink on Sundays during football games. And it became a thing where instead of being the fun drunk, as it used to be somebody that would drink and was just kind of a fun, happy-go-lucky person to be around, it started to become darker. And I would, that anger that I always had in my life would start to creep back out. And over the stupidest of shit, like football games. Like, who cares? It's a damn football team. But I'm smashing TV remotes and uh, getting to the point where nobody wants to be around me. And so the, often my wife would take the girls to the zoo or go do something different. So I'd be sitting there alone drinking. And that became a thing where I just started to want to be alone more and more. Um, I, uh, I'd start coming home from work and I used to, I used to, you know, the whole moving of the goalposts, I didn't even see it early on. It was something that didn't even clue in. Like I would like, Oh, I'll never drink hard liquor. I'll only drink beer. And that went out the window or I'll only drink on the weekends. Uh, and then I started drinking every day. Well, I won't get drunk. I won't, I won't get to the point where I get drunk in front of my kids. And I would do that and I won't drink and drive and all. I'll go pick up my daughter whose car broke down and, and I'd already been drinking. I, I kept moving the goalposts and justifying more and more use of alcohol. And, and then I moved to drinking hard liquor, um, instead of beer because I wanted to get the effect quicker. Um, I'd come home, uh, come home from work and, I would start mixing my drinks within minutes of walking in the door. Uh, and uh, I'd get to the point where I was to the point of being drunk enough to slurred speech, bouncing off of door frames as I'm walking through the house and waking up with a hangover almost every night. Uh, when we would go on vacation or we would go anywhere, it, it started to be about planning where I could get my alcohol. We'd, we'd, we'd drive to California to go to Lake Tahoe and literally as we're going in to, you know, to find where our hotel is to stay, I, I'm, I'm scouting for the liquor stores. Where can I, where can I get the liquor so I can get myself set up for the time that I'm there? And it became more and more about just where I could get that next drink. And what transitioned from being like you, the, the fun person to be around when I was drinking, I, I, I just drove more and more into self-isolation and, and fighting with people. I'd get on Facebook and 
start these idiotic Facebook arguments. I'd reach out to family and, and just lash out. And I would have cousins who were, you know, some of the amends I had to make later. I would have cousins crying because I'm just ripping them to shreds on Facebook. Or we would all sit around and watch a movie and, and I would decide that I wanted to argue about how stupid the movie was. And I'd get my daughter crying. I mean, I just it became more and more about pushing people away. And I don't think I was conscious that I was doing it. I just was doing it. And it, I just wanted to be more and more alone. Um, so I could just get more into my own head. And when I would get into these places, um, a lot of the dark thoughts of, you know, the world would be better off without me. One of the things I would say when my wife and I would fight would be, you know, if I were, it'd be better if I just die so you guys could get the life insurance. And um, I'd get into fights with my neighbors. I had a neighbor who had a friend come over who had a dog that wasn't on leash and was coming over to my yard and trying to fight with my dog. And I'm out there with a fucking shotgun uh, in my front yard yelling at my neighbor, threatening to shoot his dog. And my neighbor's hiding behind his wood pile, you know, because I'm sitting out there with a damn gun in my yard screaming at him, uh, threatening to kill this dog. And it's just, I just progressively got worse and worse and worse to where nobody wanted to be around me, rightly so, especially when I was drinking. And I was drinking almost every day. And if it wasn't every day, it was, all, it was almost all day every day. Um, I hadn't started drinking at work yet. Um, but I at the height of this, but I, I was leaving work early. I was burning through my vacation. I'd head home. I'd take three or four hours off so I could start drinking at noon. Cause in my mind, I thought, well, if I can get good and hammered before five o'clock, I can stop drinking and I'll sober up before my wife gets home. I never sobered up when she got home. Um, but I had myself convinced I would. Um, and you know, I just, it all became about fighting with anyone and everyone. I don't even remember the point of it. Um, and I would get into these places where I would argue with someone and I would verbally beat them down. Um, because I just, I think I just wanted them to feel as bad as I felt. Um, and it really culminated at our, uh, my, uh, moment of clarity, as they say, my step zero was my youngest daughter who had dropped out of college and was coming over to the house uh, to talk to us about it. And we knew something was going on. Her grades were plummeting, you know, and my wife begged me to not drink that day. And, you know, I couldn't because I knew I was so pissed off. I felt so disrespected. I, she hadn't, you know, we had paid for all this stuff. We're providing her college. She doesn't respect us. And I just was so obsessed with how angry I was that I just bar, I just dove into the bottle all day and she shows up. And I was, I was lit when she got there and I just unloaded on her. Um, I said some of the most horrible things I've said to another human being. And I said it to my youngest daughter and, and she was just, just crushed her. Um, and she's bawling and, and, and in the end she, she left, she couldn't take it. And so here I am standing my living, my wife, um, at that moment, had to decide whether to leave me alone or chase after our daughter who, who had had uh, suicidal thoughts in the past, had been seeing therapy and, and counselors because she had had an incident in her life 
um, tra uh, a trauma incident that had really pushed her into some dark places as she was a teenager. So in a lot of ways, I was playing with fire and, and abusing her verbally in ways that I, it's, it's hard for me to say even now, years later. Um, uh, but anyway, so my wife's standing there as my daughter storms off and she's like, she wants to chase after her to make sure she's okay. And, or she doesn't want to leave me alone because she, you know, I had threatened to kill myself before. Um, and she had to make a choice and she went after our daughter and I'm glad that she did. But she, as she was going, she's like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I can't remember the exact words, but I took it as that this has got to end or, or it's, it's over. And, um, the very next day I called a treatment center in Albuquerque. Um, I found it and I was amazed at how helpful they were. They reached back within an hour. Uh, I signed up for an intensive outpatient program, an IOP program. Uh, I self enrolled and, and, and really started the journey back, um, and into recovery. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I, uh, I, I consider myself to be very lucky. Um, the, I, I got what I needed to get, heard what I needed to hear to get myself on a path of recovery. Uh, before I had a lot of the not yet's of my story come true. I hadn't lost my job yet, but oh man, I was going to <laughs> the way I was going. There was no way I was not. I hadn't lost my marriage yet, but I damn near did. Um, I, it's, I have a lot of not yet in my story and, and I'm consider myself very fortunate for that. And I have AA, um, to thank for that because I got into IOP, was doing the intensive outpatient program, which was several days a week and had to go to exter uh, external meetings. And at the time, everything's on zoom. And my wife found, Oh my God. And that's the first secular a meeting I ever attended. I found my sponsor at like the second meeting I went to. He's still my sponsor to this day. Um, and I, you know, we worked through it. It didn't click right away. And that's, if I could say anything to someone early on in, in sobriety, just, just keep doing it. Um, the doing brings the understanding. I, uh, it took me probably three or six months until it started to click. The first few months, I was like, I'm just doing this to get people off my back. Uh, I did the IOP. I'm like, you know what? I'll do this and I'll go back. Because even on my intake form for the treatment center, um, they were like, what are your goals and stuff? And, and my goal was to learn to drink like a normal person again. I still, when I joined that program, I still had the mindset that I wanted to get back to being able to drink. Just drink normally, like a normie. Um, and... It took me several months for it to start to click. Started working the steps with my sponsor. I didn't do my, uh, I drug my feet on the inventory. Oh my gosh. For weeks, months, I did not want to do it. I did not want to sit down with some dude I just met in a fucking meeting three months ago and tell him all the shit I had done. Um, but it, it was a life changing experience when I finally sat down and did that. Uh, went through the fifth step with my sponsor. He's out of Baltimore. Never met him face to face. I hope to. I hope to someday. But um, he uh, and we did that, and then we started working six and seven. 
working on. And I love seeing Marsha's face because I have stolen this line from her. Working on those uh, survival skills that are no longer serving me. Um, instead of character defects. Yeah, I, uh, I working on those and anger and, and my, uh, my fear and, uh, the self-loathing and all these things that are, they're brought out in the inventory and how my, one of the biggest things is my expectations of others. And it was, when you're looking at the inventory, it's like watching, you have those pictures that you, you see like at the mall where it's a, just like a pattern. And if you stare at it for 10 minutes, like an elephant starts to come out of it. It was like that experience that looking at the full inventory with my sponsor, which took us almost three hours, I started to see that I was, you know, that I was putting expectations of other people and I was allowing that to build resentments and allowing myself to get just pissed and, and, and so angry and hateful toward people over things that I couldn't even control. It's like getting mad at the fucking rain. And I just, at some point it just started to come out. It's like, I can't control these things. My expectation of these people is what's helping bring me down. That was one of the ones that stuck out the most for me. Uh, then I started doing service work. I uh, started Oh My God. I uh, actually had been going to Oh My God for, I think, nine or ten months. And Jeremy did a speaker meeting. They do it at the last Friday um, uh, at the end of every month. And he just <laughs> he kind of ranted about how, Service not only keeps us sober, but it's needed. These rooms don't put themselves on. No, There's people behind the scenes right now keeping assholes from coming in here and putting crazy crap on their video and stuff. You know, these meetings don't run themselves. And I was like, ooh, I've been coming here for almost a year and I haven't done shit. So I, I kind of got guilted into doing service. But, man, what a life-changing event that was. Um, changing my focus from myself and trying to help others was really the second pillar of my recovery that changed everything. You know, the inventory was huge, but then service work and making it about somebody else. Um, it was, was a life altering event as well. And I started doing service at Oh My God, and I've been doing service ever since. Um, you know, I may take a month off here or there, but I've been doing it with them, with them. And then, um, Nathan started Reason Recovery in 2020 and I found that meeting by meeting him at Oh My God, and he wanted to expand his meeting to multiple days a week, and he asked me to start hosting the Thursday meetings, and I did that for a solid year, and it was one of the most reward. It has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, and I'm, I'm not, and I'm, I, you know, I I love I I have personal accomplishments and work accomplishments. I, I have a beautiful wife, and I have lovely children. But to be able to have that feeling that I'm part of this a, a family in a sense that is that didn't pick me <laughs> and has that love and support that I, I never knew was even out there. Um, it, it's been it's been an amazing thing. I am so I'll be three years sober um, here in March, and you know my. My emotional well-being, financial well-being, everything about my life today is not what it was three years ago. Um, and I'm not the same person I was. And not even close. Um, I'm, I'm not as quick to anger. 
Um, I, I definitely genuinely feel closer to people than I used to be. I wanted to be away from everyone. Now it's like I, I, uh, anytime I get, even if I, like I went on vacation, uh, back in November and we were in a place where I couldn't go to a lot of the meetings I used to go to. It felt really weird to not be surrounded by the same community I'd been surrounded by for years. Um, it really felt uncomfortable and I, I was grateful when I was able to get back into the swing of hosting meetings and, and, and doing service and calling people and, and getting calls from people. It's um, the community of AA is I, I credit to saving my life and I, and I owe this community everything. And that's why I tried to do so much back. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think I'm getting to the point where I'm rambling now, but uh, um, the, uh, the, 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 the promises as in the big book, you know, I, I used to get hung up over the God stuff the first six months or, or year I was in. It doesn't bother me anymore. Um, it really doesn't. Uh, if, if that helps that person get sober and that helps that person change their life and they're a better person now because of what they believe and what helps them, whether it's God or whatever, heck, I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, for me, um, yeah, I'm an atheist. Uh, I don't believe in a higher power in the sense that it's some entity or spiritual being. My, my sponsor does. Me and my sponsor have been together for almost three years, and he's what you would call a deist. He's someone that believes that there's somebody pulling the strings. Um, and he tells me that all the time. It cracks me up. You know, I'll say something that happens like, see, it's your higher power working for you. <laughs> I was like, all right, man, whatever. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Um, but, uh, for me, the higher power has always been the group of drunks. Um, it's it's everyone here. It's all the meetings. It's anytime I've needed support, there's always been someone there. And people give of their time, which is the only resource we all have the same amount of. People give of their time in a very self selfless, caring way. And, and I owe it all to AA for that. Um, you know, it's a lot of the tools that I've learned – like the reaching out, people have a hard time calling. I love fucking calling now. I called several people yesterday. Um, there's so many people in this program that have changed my life and have been a positive impact on it that, you know, I wanted to reach out and tell that person because I don't want to wait and, you know, and miss that opportunity. If you're thinking about somebody, fucking call them. You're thinking about your brother, call your brother. You're thinking about your mom, call your mom. If you're thinking about, Someone in the program that you, you saw a few weeks ago that said something that really touched you, call them. You never know what's going on in someone's life. That that call might be the thing that makes their day because it sure as hell did for me. I have a guy, Mississippi Mike, you probably you probably have seen him. He goes to a lot of the same meetings. He calls me like every week out of the blue, and I freaking love it every time he does. <laughs> it makes my day. You know, this community, um, you know, get close to the campfire, stay close. Work your steps, get a sponsor, and allow the good things to happen in your life that can by doing the work. Because for me, doing the work is what made the changes. But there's so much more to it than just not drinking. And I needed to have change in my life, and I needed to uh, change my entire focus of what what I saw was valuable. And the relationships I've made in this program are some that are closer than people I've known most of my life. So. Uh, Anyway, with that, 
I guess I'm going to end it there because I kind of feel like I'm rambling now, Megan. Uh, but uh, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share. I had written some stuff down. I was going to try to follow some kind of script, and I blew <laughs> that shit out the window. <laughs> so, but I hope somebody got something out of that. Uh, I really, I really do love this program, and I love you guys. And I wouldn't be here without you. And I'm grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous and for all of the great people in it. And with that. I will pass.